Hi, I'm Talia Baroncelli, and you're watching TheAnalysis.News. I'll shortly be joined by Jeffrey Kaiti for an in-depth conversation on the current situation in Haiti. But first, please do go to our website, TheAnalysis.News, and consider donating to the show. You can also get onto our mailing list. That way you'll be notified every time there's a new episode. And also go to our YouTube channel, The Analysis-News. Hit like on all the videos you want to watch, subscribe, and hit the bell. That way you're notified every time a new episode is published. I'll be back in a bit with Jaffrey Kaiti. Almost two years ago, the autocrat Jovenel Moïse was assassinated by a conglomeration of Colombian mercenaries, as well as other Haitians opposed to his regime. Most recently, Rodolphe Jarre, a Haitian-Chilean businessman as well as convicted drug trafficker and U.S. informant, pled guilty to conspiracy to commit murder before a U.S. court. Since then, the country has not been in a position to hold independent elections, and Haitians continue to be deprived of access to clean water or to enjoy a dignified standard of living. But why is this impoverished country experiencing this instability in the first place? Haiti's woes can be traced to a long history of foreign intervention in the country. Up until the end of the 18th century, Haiti was a slave society under the control of colonial France. The Haitian Revolution was an incredible moment in modern history where black slaves overthrew their colonial masters. The Haitian constitution extended social and political rights to all black people on the island, but also to indentured Polish and German workers who supported the cause. Beginning in 1791, Haitian slaves revolted under the leadership of General Toussaint Louverture. In response to this uprising, France abolished slavery throughout its colonies in 1794. In 1804, Haiti declared its independence from France. Yet independence came at a devastatingly high price. In 1825, Haitians were forced to begin paying 150 million francs to the French government to secure their independence reportedly for the damages caused to the French economy after losing its lucrative plantations in Haiti. Haiti ended up paying an equivalent of 21 billion U.S. dollars for its independence. The country couldn't afford to pay France all at once, so it was forced to take out loans from French banks and later from American Citibank at high interest rates. It was only in 1947 that it had finished paying back these loans to Citibank. The French economist Thomas Piketty has estimated that France owes Haiti approximately 28 billion U.S. dollars for its so-called independence debt. The indebtedness of Haiti to American banks, as well as the prospect of confiscating Haitian resources, led Wall Street to push the U.S. to invade Haiti in 1915. Of the countless atrocities committed under the occupation, U.S. Marines stole Haiti's entire gold reserve from its banks and left 15,000 people dead. The occupation of Haiti only came to an end in 1934. Indebtedness and corruption in Haiti was exacerbated by President François Duvalier, who set up the militia Tonton Macoute in 1959. It wasn't until the 1990s when Haiti's political future was finally looking brighter. It held its first democratic elections in 1991, electing the liberation theologist Jean-Bertrand Aristide. But Aristide's focus on social justice and autonomy provoked the powers in Washington. Aristide faced not one, but two coup d'etats supported by the U.S. and its allies, the last one ousting him from office permanently in 2004. 
Since then, a UN mission which brought cholera to the country, as well as a devastating earthquake in 2010, have depleted the country's public coffers, while its political elite profit from control of the country's resources. Joining me now is Shafiq Aiti. He is an activist, author, radio show host, artist, and works for Solidarité Québec Haiti. Thanks so much for joining me, Jafrik. Thank you for inviting me, Talia. Well, since the assassination of Jovenel Moïse in 2021, which was almost two years ago, Ariel Henry has been the acting president in Haiti, but he was never elected. So what do Haitians need now in order to return to some sort of semblance of democracy? Well, I think, uh, first of all, there is no point in referring to Ariel Henry as uh, prime minister or president. Uh, in Haiti, a president is someone who is elected. The prime minister, uh, which is his actual title, is appointed by the elected president, but is not to come in office until they present their credentials to a parliament, which we do not have. In reality, what needs to happen in Haiti is that the governance of the country need to return to Haitians. Uh, that means this faire semblant, you know, make believe that there is a Haitian government need to uh, cease. And the United States, which is running the show, need, as well as Canada, the, United, uh, the European Union, and OAS and UN, who intervened and overthrew the last real Haitian government that Haitians chose back in 2004, need to acknowledge that this mess is theirs. Haiti had 7,000 elected officials in 2004. They had their meetings here in Gatineau. They decided that the Haitian government had to be overthrown. They replaced them by thugs who embezzled billions of dollars. The country is in a mess. There is no government. And now they're, they're spending all of this effort trying to protect a semblance of governance and, you know, and they are also pretending to be foreign to the mess that was created. And, and, and they're getting away with it in a large part because the media does not ask those questions of uh, Joe Biden, of uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, and, and others who, when they're having these senseless conferences about how to fix Haiti, no one is asking them what happened to the real government of Haiti. I thought you guys overthrew that government in order to make Haiti better. That was the plan. That, that's what they announced to the world. And after the earthquake, Bill Clinton got involved and they collected billions of dollars in the names of Haitians. Uh, but at the same time, they imposed a set of criminals such as Michel Martelly, Laurent Lamotte on Haiti. And now it's, I mean, it would be comical if it wasn't tragic that those same countries that rigged elections 
such as the 2010-11 elections when Hillary Clinton went to Haiti and ordered the director of the Electoral Council to change the results and take someone who was fifth in the list and put him in the second round to become president. And these are the same people that the same governments who rigged the elections in Haiti, Canada, the United States, Europe, uh, as part of this thing called the call group, they're sanctioning the people they put in power. Now, of course, those sanctions are invisible to us. Uh, they claim that they're taking sanctions against those people, but um, I would say that people who have been found to be in collusion with kidnapping gangs, the sanction for them is not to put their name on the list. It's to arrest them. And that's what the Haitian people have been asking for, okay, for some help to arrest the criminals, the PHTK criminals linked to the Clintons who were put in power fraudulently, violently, by foreign interference by the United States, Canada, and France, arrest these people, collect the money that they have embezzled out of Haiti. Some of it may be hidden in Haiti still, but some of it have found its way to the United States, Canada, you know, Latin America. We need to find those resources and bring them back to the Haitian treasury so the people can, you know, have a real government uh, on the basis of processes decided upon by Haitians, not by Joe Biden, not by Justin Trudeau, okay, by Haitians. Would you say that these gang members who were supported by Hillary Clinton at the time and the American political elite, would you say that they're also supported by Haiti's own ruling elite, or how are they able to sustain themselves? Well, of course, there, there, there's always been collusion between the folks that they are calling elites in Haiti and corrupt elites in North America. Uh, to be precise, uh, people need to do a search on a term, which is BAM BAM, B-A-M, B-A-M. It's the first name, the first letter in the names of six of the richest families in Haiti. Uh, the Bijo, Aped, Meuse, Brett, Aped, Accra, and uh, Madsen. Now, all of these folks have their roots um, in what they are calling today the Middle East. Um, Bijo was the richest man in Haiti, is actually uh, the former representative of Israel in Haiti, is uh, 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 reportedly the richest man in the Caribbean, like we're talking about billionaire who lives in, in Florida most of the time. Now, this guy owns almost everything that has to do with uh, the Haitian economy, whether it is with banks, oil, everything. And it, this is not hearsay. In fact, the United States sanctioned him back after the 1991 coup. And, and again, whenever we say the word sanction, we need to realize these things are smoke screens for the general public. It's, it just means that the United States government issued a statement saying that these individuals were involved or there is suspicion that they were involved in the coup in Haiti. And then, you know, you don't hear anything anymore. Uh, when these sections are lifted, we don't even know about that. 
uh, in reality, it's a way for the United States to pretend that there is a distance between itself and those corrupt individuals in Haiti. We refrain from using the term elite when we're referring to these individuals because, for instance, um, some of them bought, um, uh, uh, how do you call this, uh, sugar ref uh, refinery, uh, uh, and they closed it up, okay, to import sugar from the United States to sell in Haiti. So they're not really industrialists. These are people who have monopolies because whenever there is a real government in Haiti, they spend a few million dollars to overthrow that government, and then the criminals they put in power allow them to have contracts in the import-export business. So, yes, they are among the richest, but they are not an elite in the sense of people who are richer in a country who are investing in set, uh, you know, important sectors of the economy and giving back to the society. Okay? And so, yes, they are directly linked to the gangs. Uh, and that's why Canada and the United States has put the names of uh, Abdallah, Bijo, Bossa uh, on, on, on those lists. But again, I'm saying if the kidnapping gangs that we're talking about here, instead of kidnapping middle class and poor Haitians who have family members in the diaspora, who when these people are kidnapped, are sending their meager resources to get their families released. And sometimes they take the money and they kill the people anyways. Now, imagine if for a number of months and even years, okay, you had gangs, you know, in Montreal who were kidnapping blue-eyed, blonde-haired Canadians for months and years. Do you think the response of authorities in Montreal, in, 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 in uh, the province of Quebec, in, in, in Canada, would be to just draw a list of people who are associated with those gangs? Okay. And to say that, well, they cannot travel to country X, Y, and Z, uh, or that they're going to section, you know, some of their products. No, they would get arrested. And, uh, you know, they would be punished. And that's what we're calling for. Uh, Gilbert Bijou can be a billionaire. You know, we've heard that they finance elections. Uh, you know, they contribute to elections in the United States. But that's not a reason for them to be untouchable. So these people uh, need to be arrested, uh, tried, uh, and put in jail and all of the resources that they have taken away from the Haitian people, such as taxes that they're supposed to be paying like other citizens are paying, I should go to the uh, Haitian national budget. Because what is evident to anybody who's been to Haiti is that Haiti is a country that did not benefit from the Industrial Revolution. Okay, you can travel from east to west, north to south of Haiti. You will not find a single tunnel. If you try to go from uh, the little town where my father was born, Leogan, to go to Port-de-Paix, where my mother was born, 
it will take you six, seven, eight hours sometimes. Not because it's 800 or whatever kilometers. It's not. It's barely 200 kilometers. Okay? That's because there's no road. You keep on turning around and around a mountain, going up and down, etc. There was no infrastructure built. Of course, that's because there were dictatorships in Haiti. Okay? But it's not just that. Because we have not had only dictatorships. We've also had enlightened leadership. Whether it is under our founder, uh, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, uh, or uh, leaders like Lysius Felicite Salomon, who was a genius in, in terms of finance and organizing, you know, taking the Haitian currency from uh, being, uh, uh, you know, one thousandth of a U.S. dollar and bringing it at par with U.S. dollars, okay, in, in, in a, 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 a span of about 20 years or so, okay? So what happened when Lysius Felicite Salomon was president? Well, you had gunboat diplomacy where countries came together, countries of Europe, including Sweden, okay? Countries that people don't think about when they refer to Haiti. But the ambassadors in Haiti came together Britain, Sweden, the United States, they all threatened President Lysius Felicite Salomon of sending their warships and bombarding the National Palace with him in it if he doesn't pay reparations to some of the merchants who claim that they were victim of social unrest in the country. And when you go and investigate the thing, the social unrest in question was instigated by them. In other words, Haiti is a country that has been at war. The war is not an internal war, okay? Uh, the, the war that Haiti is facing uh, has to do with global white supremacy. And I know these terms are not familiar. People are not, you know, at ease with analyzing it, but they must because you will not fix the problem in Haiti with bend it. Like, Haiti needs reparations. There's no other way about it. Well, the social unrest that you speak about, I'm assuming we can tie it to the, the money that Haiti had to pay back to France in 1825, this 150 million francs or whatever it was at the time, which, you know, some of it was reduced, but essentially they paid an equivalent of, I guess, 90 million francs, which is... A lot of money, like 21 billion US dollars. Yeah, President Aristid estimated it 21 billion back in 2004. And more recently, the New York Times uh, in 2021 estimated it to be 115 billion US. That's a lot of money. So perhaps some of these issues with debt and infrastructure can be tied back to that. If you don't even I mean, we can we can speak about the the issue of of race and and racial domination and suppression, but without even needing to speak about white supremacy, we can speak about that moment in which Haiti was completely indebted to to a country which it basically had to pay for its independence, and as a result of that continued indebtedness, um, yes. was not able to then build up its own infrastructure. Yeah, but what is more important though is the timing of this, right? 
Because this is the industrial revolution. That's when everybody was building the infrastructures of their cities. If you look at the universities in the United States, in Europe, in Canada, these were established around that time. And it is during that time that coming out of 300 years of enslavement, the people of Haiti were feeding the French economy. Okay? That's ransom. Okay? And it wasn't just the French economy, because by 1915, the United States invades Haiti, and it's the United States that was managing that so-called debt, collecting the money from Haiti and sharing it among French, German, and American banks. And, you know, the problem with when you're dealing with the history of Haiti even if you were to do the analysis only based on economics, whether you want to or not, you are going to face the racial dimension. Because what happens is that nowhere can I see these examples of countries that are supposed to be in conflict among each other, such as the United States, France, Britain, but they come together when it comes to Haiti. Like we saw it in 1820, uh, 1805. The French foreign minister of the time, Prince Talleyrand, wrote to James Madison and said to him, the existence of a Negro people in arms is a terrible th threat for all white nations. He said it. That's his words. And in response, they started the embargo against Haiti. But that's you can say, well, that's in the past. But that's what happened in 2004. Like, what would make sense for a Canadian minister like Denis Paradis to organize a meeting right here in Gatineau, where I live, with foreign ministers of the United States, of France, and, you know, a, a few other people, but no Haitian, to discuss the fate of Haiti? I mean, these white men and women found nothing weird about them discussing to overthrow the president of Haiti, to put Haiti under UN tutelage over two days of eating and drinking. And to do that, the very year of the bicentennial of the end of racial slavery in the Americas. And so... If you don't understand the racial dimension of this, you will not understand why today it is Kamala Harris, vice president of the United States, who is going to the Bahamas, okay, to get the so-called leaders of CARICOM okay, to have a pre-meeting in prelude to the CARICOM meeting that is supposed to take place later on this week in Jamaica, where they're going to decide the fate of Haiti. Okay, you need to understand that. And to understand that, you need to go back to the beginning of uh, the uh, 20th century, when the United States wanted to steal Mole Saint-Nicolas as a military base, which is the northwest of Haiti. And they found that, you know, the Haitians were being... Peaky, you know, they didn't want to cooperate. And so they recruited Frederick Douglass. Yes, the famous Frederick Douglass. Okay, the abolitionist. 
And they knew how much Frederick Douglass had, you know, just like most early African-Americans, had a lot of respect and empathy towards Haiti. And so they, 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 they recruited Frederick Douglass, sent him to Haiti as, as the consul so that he could help the Americans, the Yankees, convince the Haitians to take. And even Frederick Douglass, when he was confronted with what the Americans were asking the Haitians, his conscience told him that, I can't do this. After two years, he quit. And when in the news they were, you know, uh, accusing him of betraying the Americans, Frederick Douglass replied and said, listen, you know, I'm not a criminal. And, and, and the Haitian people deserve to have a nation. And so whether you look at it past and present, the conflict in Haiti is all about black nationhood. These people are not regarded as individuals who are worthy of having their nation. Okay? And, and, and that's why today they're trying to put the black face to imperialism by recruiting CARICOM and some countries in the African Union to put in front, and of course, people like Kamala Harris or Brian Nichols uh, or, or, you know, and Karine Jean-Pierre, who is the spokesman for Biden, you know, uh, with her Haitian uh, heritage, you know, has that responsibility to make stupidities sound intelligent about that what's what the United States foreign policy towards Haiti is. So essentially, you're saying that um, the U.S. officials, as well as Canadian officials and other European powers, don't want to entrust Haiti, a primarily black country, with um, the right to organize its own elections and to deal with its affairs in the way that it sees fit. Um, but what are the other interests there? I mean, what what do, what do these countries stand to benefit economically from Haiti besides subjugating the country based on you know racial oppression? What are the other motives there? Yeah, the the motivation is not only racial. Okay, I mean those things are not divided. You know, imperialism for the past. A uh, few thousand years has been tied at the hip with white supremacy. Okay? No one else has had the ability to subjugate other peoples and steal their lands on the planet like European people have. Okay, so that's why it's always tied. But Haiti is what, in scientific experiment, you would call the control. Okay, if you cannot impose you know your will on Haiti a country that has no army that doesn't even have a government you know you imposed your puppets on Haiti then where can you impose yourselves in Latin America and you can see the situation right with Venezuela for the past decades right these folks wanted to steal the petroleum of Venezuela and they try, you know, and, you know, today there's still speculation as to how Hugo Chavez died, right? We remember him going to the United Nations, you know, claiming to have smelled the presence of the devil at the podium, right? Well, 
Hugo Chavez might have been a colorful personality who made jokes and stuff, but Hugo was very serious about the need to put our world on a different path of genuine human brotherhood. And that's why he created the Petro-Caribe program. And many countries in, in the region had benefited from that program in order to build a minimal infrastructure. And what you have happening in Haiti is kind of equivalent to what's happening in a bigger scale in Africa. What is the current crisis everywhere? The Europeans and the Americans are screaming bloody murder because the Chinese are displacing them in Africa because the Chinese are building ports, they're building highways, they're building all kinds of infrastructure that the Africans have been saying for the longest time that they need. And of course, these Europeans, you know, without, you know, tongue in cheek, have the audacity to pretend that they are there to protect the interests of the Africans, so they are warning them about the bad Chinese. <laughs> you know, as if 500 years of oppression cannot inform those stupid Africans of their own interests, okay? Like Europeans have to tell them. Right, but a lot of people would say that, you know, European colonialism, they justify European colonialism saying that, oh, it built the roads. So I'm not sure that the Chinese going in and actually creating infrastructure is, a, you know, a justification for another form of yeah, but domination. Listen, but I've been, I've been recently to Tanzania and Rwanda, um, and I've been to other parts of Africa. I can tell you the infrastructure that is currently being built uh, is not what was there before. Okay, uh, Clearly, some African countries have realized that we don't need to have that kind of relationship with France, with Britain. with I mean, that's not a relationship. That's abuse. You know, like France doesn't have all kinds of resources that it's stealing from Ivory Coast, Mali, and all kinds of places. And now they're, they're revolting. Now, in the case of Haiti, okay, it's the same situation. You know, now, when Hugo Chavez came with the Petro-Caribe program, it had the potential to show to the world what could happen if for a brief period of time, genuine Haitian leadership had access to capital. Because that's what the Petro-Caribe program was allowing the Haitian government to have. To have a budget that is not tied to the IMF and the World Bank, or in short, the dictates of the United States. Okay, Because when these monies come, these guys, they say, you know, you cannot invest in education, you cannot invest in healthcare, you cannot invest in, in, in basic infrastructure. Uh, you have to spend that money in what they call job creation for, you know, sweatshops and stuff like that. So basically you tie your population to exploitation so that the companies, okay, the multinationals coming from the United States can continue to benefit from what they call Haiti's uh, uh, comparative advantage. These were the terms used by Aped, Boulos, you know, those families that the United States subcontract 
the control of the neo-colonies. Okay? Now, if the Petro-Caribbean program was not sabotaged, we would have seen a level of development in Haiti that would have challenged the American system. And so they crushed it. So oftentimes, you know, people are asking, well, what's in there that the United States needs or wants? It's not that they need. They don't need anything. Christopher Columbus did not need what it was stealing when he came in 1492. He wanted it, and he murdered millions of people to get it. Okay? It's not about need. It's about greed. Okay? And it's also because they can. Okay? Right now, the people of Haiti is an, are in a state of vulnerability that even when they see the enemy show up at their door, they cannot stop them from showing up. Haitians are not stupid. Like, I mean... When we hear, for instance, at the United Nations, Canada, the United States show up and they, they call themselves the, the group of friends of Haiti. I mean, of course, the, the, the so-called Haitian politicians are guilty of never standing up and, and tell these people to, to shut up and, 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 and stop, you know, bringing this childish language to the table. I mean, I've never heard of the friends of the United States, the friends of friends, the friends of Canada. You know, but they use that kind of terminology for countries like Haiti, the Congo, and stuff like that. So, what this needs to stop, we need to have uh, a space where um, people in Haiti manage to develop enough real solidarity uh, among the populations, uh, whether it is in the Caribbean, in, in, in the Americas. Uh, and and uh, and among the populations of Europe, so that the populations can challenge their governments, so they can stop, the, so they can abandon that paradigm. It's the same thing that's happening with the relationship with Africa. Okay, I mean Africa is a different situation because here we're talking about a continent that is rich in resources, whether it is gold, coltrane, everything that they need those resources. I mean, there's been speculation about. Haiti having rare minerals as well, like uranium and uh, iridium and, and all of that. The thing is, even if this exists in Haiti, uh, currently there is not enough military might in Haiti at the control of Haitians to protect that. And so if the United States wants to steal that, it's going to steal it, just like they do everywhere else in the world. Whereas in the case of Africa, it's getting more complicated where you have countries like Mali that is showing that they're willing to, you know, uh, get the weapons that they require in order to fight whoever shows up and tries to dispossess them uh, of their resources. Uh, and perhaps in, as a global community, we, we need to push the reflection to a different model. I mean, why can't Belgium buy the cocoa from Ivory Coast at fair price? At the same time that Ivory Coast is also producing chocolate. Why must we buy chocolate that is only made in Europe? 
or we cannot make chocolate in Africa? It's the same thing with regards to Haiti. Yes, you know, uh, a population that is impoverished, uh, there is going to be cheap labor. But that's not our ambition. Our ambition is not to be cheap labor to the planet forever. Our ancestors spent over 400 years feeding those Europeans. It has to end. Right? So, you know, we have Haitians who are doctors, lawyers, engineers all over the planet. Why are we not living in Haiti? You know, when you watch the, 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 the flights, they're leaving Haiti by the thousands. And you watch the planes going inside of Haiti, white people. Well, I wanted to pick up on a point you made earlier about imperialism and, and racism being so interwoven and linked because, you know, abolitionist Ruth Wilson Gilmore also talks about capitalism being racial from the get-go and racial capitalism being something, you know, a, a hierarchy, an institutionalized hierarchy, which was based on the labor of marginalized people, not just people who looked visibly darker, but also, you know, Irish or, yeah. or Roma people in, in Europe, for example. So this racialized element wasn't always tied to skin color. Yeah. Um, but tying that idea to Petro-Caribe, we could maybe see that this is another way, this would have been another way to fund Haiti without having to rely on you know, institu institutions which have been the proponents of an economic racial capitalism, such as the IMF or the World Bank, exactly. which would, you know, implement structural adjustment programs or other conditions on Haiti in order for them to benefit from certain loans so that they would have to, you know, privatize their industries or open up their country to other imports. And so maybe we could speak a bit more about what the aims of Petro-Caribe were and whether something similar is actually possible if other foreign powers were to, you know, stop being involved in Haiti. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, Petro-Caribe allowed Haiti to buy petroleum from uh, Venezuela at cheap price, very low interest rate, and... The conditions is that Haiti, instead of having to pay right away, would have 25 years to pay. And therefore, the money saved can be used in investment that is productive, including in agriculture. And so when Haiti is paying back Venezuela, it can also pay back cash, all with agricultural products. So it's, in a way, that was perfect. Because, of course, when you talk in the Caribbean, Haiti is the country beside Cuba that has a sizable population. We're talking about 12 million people. So, you know, uh, the other countries of the Caribbean, you know, some of them are way better off economically. But when you're talking about, like, for instance, Barbados, that's a very small community in terms of population and size of the island. And so Haiti, being part of CARICOM, uh, would have benefited a lot. And, and I still believe that this model is what is needed. 
And I was fortunate enough to go to countries like Belize or Guatemala and saw how, and they also have corruption, okay? But they still manage to do a little bit of uh, um, progress using Petrocaribe funds. The problem with what happened with the timing of Petrocaribe in Haiti, which was signed uh, around 2006 when Hugo Chavez uh, started to have the discussions with President Reval, but the money really started flowing uh, around 2010, just before the earthquake. And when the earthquake happened, of course, that's devastation, but the physical devastation was nowhere as damaging as the arrival of the Michel Martelly regime. Okay? Because these guys, basically, they jumped at that money, which came at the same time as all of these billions of dollars that were being collected by Bill Clinton for the rebuilding of Haiti. And so during that whole period of 2010, 11, 12, Haiti was a mecca for all kinds of, you know, crazy criminals who, you know, create fake companies, you know, they're going to build this, they, they, like companies that are created out of thin air. In Canada, I saw some of them, okay? And all of them, when they go to Haiti, the criterion for them to get a contract or not is how close they are to the Clintons, okay? And so a lot of money was embezzled, wasted, but very little of it, okay, by the corrupt Haitians in terms of the rebuilding or the reconstruction money, because all of that reconstruction money was under Bill Clinton's control and the companies that are linked to him. But it's the Petrocaribe money that uh, uh, Martelly, the, the, the Haitian uh, corrupt uh, group that Hillary Clinton put in power, the, that's the money that they stole. And when you hear this week that uh, the United States government uh, uh, announces that uh, they're taking sanctions against Laura Lamotte, who was Martelly's very close childhood friend who became his prime minister, uh, because he would have, uh, you know, there's evidence that he might have taken $60 million. Um, uh, you know, people who are really following this uh, uh, realize that, you know, we're being taken for a ride. Because Logan Lamotte, first of all, was an illegal prime minister because he doesn't qualify as someone who has lived in the United States without having spent five consecutive years in Haiti before he became prime minister, so which is illegal, but they imposed him, okay? And Laurent Lamotte, if you check on, uh, you know, the archives, during the time that he was uh, a so-called prime minister, uh, the ambassador uh, to Haiti at the time, a lady's name is uh, Pamela White, okay? Um, she was always seen with Laurent Lamotte and, and Michel Martelly, uh, and, you know, there's just no way that the United States is now discovering the corruption of Logan Lamotte, uh, because the corruption of Logan Lamotte means that 
all of these money, and of course, $60 million is not the amount. Haitians say there, there needs to be at least another zero put uh, in that number. Uh, but that money cannot have been stolen out of Haiti without U.S. complicity. So the question is, who are the American accomplices of Laurent Lamotte? Uh, and of course, you cannot you know, speak of Laurent Lamotte's corruption without speaking of Michel Martelly, who was his uh, uh, partner in crime. You've just been watching part one of my conversation with Jafli Kaiti. If you enjoy this content, please consider sharing this episode and going to our YouTube channel, The Analysis Hyphen News, subscribing to the channel and hitting the bell. That way you're notified every time there's a new episode. And also, please go to our website and consider donating to the show and signing up to our newsletter. See you for part two next time.